Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of Sepad Pod. I'm Simon Mabel, and today I'm joined by the latest and newest Sepad Fellow. I'm delighted that Gabriel Garum is joining us today. Gabriel holds a PhD in war studies from King's College London. He's an interdisciplinary researcher who specializes in critical IR theory, contemporary security issues, critical geopolitics, and Middle East studies. He's born into a Syrian Catalan family, and he's done some fascinating work on Syria and the politics of the Middle East more broadly. Delighted that Gabriel is joining us today and that he's also a part of SEPAD. So, Gabriel, thank you so much and welcome. Hello, Simon. Thanks to you. Thanks for the invitation. A pleasure. Um, I should say that this this came out after a, uh, a fascinating presentation once again at the uh, the SEPAD conference back in December. It was great that you made it in person despite all of the myriad challenges in the UK um, at that time. <laughs> But it was wonderful to hear you talking again about this this wonderful research agenda that you've got, which we'll touch on today. Um, so, Gabriel, tell us a little bit about how you got interested in 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 politics and and the academy. And as you're born into this this fascinating Syrian Catalan family living in Barcelona, yeah. what's what's the way into politics for you? Well, you know, I've always enjoyed um, all matters, you know, political and social. I started a BA in political science here in Barcelona. And some way around the middle of that journey, um, the Arab Spring was full on, and Syria became this kind of big, um, as we know, a scenario of the whole uprisings and then uh, subsequent militarization and descent. Um, and I was born into, you know, Syrian Catalan family. My dad um, is from the city of Aleppo. My mom is from Barcelona. And I started thinking that maybe um, I could, you know, contribute um, to that specific historical moment if I, you know, dedicated a bit of my of my work and my time to the analysis and study of of the Middle East. So just. Around 2013, uh, 2012, um, I started deciding that I should, you know, take a full academic career, and I started afterwards a a master's in, in Middle Eastern politics at um, Solis University in London, and then I I started, you know, working more closely into the Middle East. But I remember, you know, like going to Syria, visiting Syria as a kid, um, almost every year. Um, I really got interested as as I grew a little bit, like 16, 18. Um, and then I, when when the war started in Syria, it was just like that evident moment that I needed to devote time into this. Sure. So it's a very personal journey then, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as I said, I was always, always I've been always interested in, 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 in social affairs, international political affairs. Um, but this will to understand a bit more of what was going on was 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 basically as a result of of what was unfolding in Syria from 2011 12 onwards um it it was very clear to me that that I had to you know intervene in a in a sense sure well i'm i'm pleased that you did because i've i've one taken a lot out of your work and <laughs> engagement so thank you um just before we, we delve into that work then, 
You talk about going to Syria every year, so you essentially you're you're crossing the Mediterranean from one side to the other. What was that like? What are your memories of visiting Syria as a as a child, and how does that relate to your sort of political awakening and this interest in, in social affairs that you say you've got? Yeah, it was it was both very interesting and and difficult in a sense to decodify sometimes. Um, so I was born into this family that you know, speaks mostly Catalan at home in terms of culture and and language. It was a very kind of Catalan-centric family. And my dad, although being Syrian, was, you know, he was, he was never very adamant in, you know, showing that um, identity element. We had a, we have, still have a Syrian restaurant in Barcelona, so it was very, you know, close to the culture in, in this way. But I remember just, you know, visiting, visiting Aleppo, Damascus um, every year and kind of discovering new things and trying to um, understand, on, you know, in what ways uh, was Syria part also of my, of my identity. So, as I said, when I was 16, 18, then it got everything. Everything got, you know, more clearer in a sense that um, that, that was also part of my of my own identity and my the trajectory of my family, but it it, it took a while, you know, to decodify um, being from you know both both parts of the Mediterranean. If I'm going to say so, not too different, by the way. Yeah, of course, of course. And I guess we're not even touching on the whole um, Catalan Spanish component of of your the other side of your identity, which is um, yeah. maybe a discussion for another time. But that, yeah, but it's sorry, it's, go it's ahead. interesting. So, no, it's interesting, Simon, because um, in a sense, and, and this is a, a joke um, my, my parents always um, make with me, it's like y- you are kind of a double minority. Like <laughs> you, 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 are, you, you are navigating being a Catalan in, in Spain, yep. and then we navigate being Christians in Syria, because my family, my dad's family, um, come from Armenian and, and Syriac descent. So mm-hmm. that, that adds another layer of <laughs> the whole Goodness. navigation. Yeah, so I guess that speaks to the the challenges that you were um, you were navigating and grappling with um, that you've just been mentioning. So uh, yeah, wow, that's that's quite a lot to to handle. <laughs> Not even touching on the whole teenage boy thing, which is that that is another <laughs> another issue. Um, that's okay, another so issue. You, you you go to SOAS for your masters, and then you end up going to to Kings for your your PhD. Tell us a bit about the 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 PhD. Who are you working with? What's the what's the thesis on for people who don't know? Yeah, so I was I was worst the department, and then I I was a member of the research group in in international relations, and I was working with uh, Professor Vivian Jabri who is um, a well-established um, academic there at, at, at War Studies Department. And I was, I was incredibly lucky to have her as a, as a supervisor. She, she has this, um, let's say, perspective to you know, enhance post-colonial analysis and critical social theory into international matters, um, but always with this huge sensitivity towards um, the transformations and the local, the embodied processes. So it was it was incredible to work uh, alongside her. Um, my research is on um, it's called on polit- um, uh, material destruction and political subjectivity 
navigating the cityscapes of wartime Syria. So it's an investigation on how destruction, material destruction, practices of violence and power and political subjectivities relate to each other in urban Syria. And it tries to do many things, uh, but mostly to have a look at how this idea of the political subject and how he or she navigates the political and the context um, is affected by several practices of violence, power, and destruction. And if you take actually a, a kind of a long durée perspective, and you take how Syria as a modern state uh, was formed in the la you know late Ottoman phases, French mandate, and then the politics under under the Syrian uh, under Assad government, you see several interesting con continuities and transformations in this relationship between identities and space. That was very, very important for me. Yeah, of course. I should say you, you received funding from the ESRC for this, didn't you? So just another... It was, yes, it was an ESRC-funded uh, project. Just another exactly. badge of honour, something to be proud of there. So, well, <laughs> I mean, it must have been quite an experience working with, with Vivian Jabri, who's got this, this really... Um, wonderful canon of work that that contributes to a number of this, different disciplines of interest to you, of course. So let's let's delve deeper into into some of the things that you were doing in the thesis because you've you've got this this um, fascinating project that I'm hoping will be turned into a book in the not too distant future, and it's stuff that you've been presenting at various um, various fora, and I want to talk about that in a minute, but. Tell us a little bit about what's actually going on in the in the soon to be monograph. What's going on with the, <laughs> the conceptual analysis, the, the yeah. empirical stuff? I mean, what's what's the book soon to be book about? So the first the first thing is um, to understand or to try to conceptualize uh, political subjectivity mm -hmm. as a product of several. Uh, power relations, but also embodied context. So there's a, there's a very important element um, for me and for my research, which is the idea that um, not only political subjectivity is, as I said, a product of different power relations and definitely is not an, an, an ego-centered um, development, this idea of political identity, but also the idea was to include the affective register into that. So the idea of affectivity, in a sense, uh, very close to the work that Selwa Ismail did uh, for Syria during the Assad uh, period, mm -hmm. the idea um, for my thesis during the war and this kind of in-between war and post-war was to understand how, you know, the built space, the urban space, the infrastructures, the cityscape, the heritage places, the squares, the churches, the mosques have a specific relationship with political identity. And what happens, and this was the initial idea from the beginning of the thesis, what happens when these spaces that we transverse in kind of an everyday became transformed, are destroyed, or even penetrated by different new identities? Now, this generates, as I said, not only a different uh, matrix of power relations, if you want to say so, but also it generates new affectivities. 
I mean, to give you an example, if you, you know, if you conduct research in um, the northern El Midan neighborhood in Aleppo, which has been um, inhabited by Armenians for, for decades, specific practices of destruction there um, create a different new Armenian identity that relates to the past. So it relates into this post-colonial trajectory, mm-hmm. but it also relates to the current uh, matrix of, 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 of Syria. Now, it generates new discourses, new, new representations. And this was one of the interesting bits for me in, in the thesis because I incorporated um, aesthetic material. So for me, political subjectivity is expressed into the formal channels of politics, definitely, but also through contributions, aesthetic interventions, the poem, the photograph, the installation. Um, and when you include these several artifacts into the analysis, you see that there is a huge complexity um, and how these identities relate to political power, to other identities, and more importantly, to the local space. So that, that gives a very, I would say, very rich um, research to look at broad processes, state formation in Syria, state transformation due to war, for instance, through those very local experiences of communities. Yeah, it's fascinating. There's so many really interesting and challenging questions that that come out of what you've just been talking about there. I wonder if I can prod you a little bit on some of them. Mm-hmm. There's there's some complex terminology at play here for people who um, there's there's some stuff that people might not necessarily be aware of. So can you tell us what what do you mean by by things like political subjectivities? What do you mean by effects? Yeah. So, for instance, for political subjectivity, you know, we, we all have different identifications. Yeah. Right? We have different um, points of identity or labels that might make us a specific, a specific person. We have different, you know, religions. We come from different class backgrounds, origin, race, languages. The interesting bit is how these different identifications become part of the political game and become mobilized or demobilized by political actors, mostly state and non-state forces. Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at how these different identities that are mapped in a very diffused way, when they become categories of political action, of people that you should support or you should kill, people that you should create new neighborhoods for, or people that should be displaced from their homes, that what gives you is a, is a new political, let's say, map of how identities um, operate. Now, affectivity is nothing else than, in a sense, how do you interpret emotions in social and political action? So, for instance, when we look at affectivity of destruction, we are interested in looking at how several communities experience the idea of destruction. In a sense, um, you have this very um, this amazing feminist work in international relations that look at how, you know, political identity is first and foremost an embodied process. So, when you have 
for instance, the square being destroyed next to your house, that generates, that has an impact upon, upon you, but also in the way you look at your identity and the other's identity. So that, that register, which is located in between, between you as a person, the space, and the structures that subject you, that is the effect that is interesting to capture. And that is why we included lots of, um, in the thesis, I included lots of um, aesthetic materials. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, you know, these emotions and these, these effects are difficult to capture uh, through words, right? Sometimes a, a picture, an installation, um, that capture, the, that register in a, in, a, in a better way. Give us some examples of that then, Gabriel, please. So, for instance, um, I, I had this fabulous um, interview with um, Avo, um, a filmmaker um, from Aleppo. He's, a, he was a, he's Armenian. At that, um, at that time, I was interviewing him in Beirut. He was, he was based in Beirut. And he was, he was um, explaining to me uh, a very short documentary that he did. And if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Houses Without Doors. And he was filming from his balcony in, in this neighborhood of uh, Midan in, in Aleppo, um, as I said, um, heavily populated by, by Armenians and, and Syrians from Armenian descent. So when rebel forces and um, mostly uh, forces that were also supported by Turkey at that time entered the city of Aleppo in 2012, that neighborhood was um, kind of an early hotspot for rebel activity and some destruction, mortar shelling, and so on and so forth. So he was filming um, from from his balcony how the streets started to change, how new battalions appeared in the public space, new identities, some of them, as I said, some battalions funded by Turkey. And he was ca- he was trying to capture how those changes and the church being destroyed and so on and so forth, changed not only his position as an Armenian within the Syrian matrix, but also his position as, a, as an Armenian son at home. So he, he was telling me like, look, I'm, I'm a young Armenian in Aleppo. I do not owe anything to the Syrian regime. Mm-hmm. But my parents come from a different generation that still believe that this regime is protecting our position in Syria as a, as a protected minority. So he was saying, it's very hard for me to navigate this um, position of being an anti-regime Armenian, while at the same time recognizing that militias funded by Turkey, and we know what that means for Syrian Armenians and for Armenians in general, mm-hmm. are shelling our churches. So he was trying to capture that through this very, very, very interesting documentary. So that for me was a was one of the pieces of you know um, one of the one of the works of art, if you want to say so, that I incorporated into the thesis to capture this this process of how these political identities were changing at the very same time the cities were changing. It's fascinating. It's really, really interesting, and I think. What that does, just that one example, it highlights the complexity of this um, this work that you're doing and how the, the subjectivity and the effects are produced not just by the everyday manifestations of the political 
or the the ways in which sovereign power, for example, operates, but mm-hmm. also how how national politics resonates at the very local, and how regional and international politics shapes the national and the local. And all of this is sort of spinning around, and somehow in the midst of it, you're looking at how people are are operating in the context of these these changing worlds. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, totally, and then one one of the things that especially uh, Vivian Jabri was very very um, you know he, she was highlighting a lot is that in a sense when you when you study this idea of uh, political subjectivity we're we, we're talking here about um, historically formed yeah. subject positions so we cannot explore the presence of Syria without taking into consideration how the colonial and early post-colonial process of state formation affected those identities. And when we look at the question of, of destruction, for instance, destruction is num- one of the central pillars of modernity. Now, um, the Middle East encountered modernity in several ways, and certainly the urban Middle East encountered modernity also through destruction and one of the um, issues I, one of the elements I, I incorporated into the thesis, um, I did this um, archival research in uh, the um, Center for Diplomatic Studies in, in France, and they have in Paris, and they have all these, of course, material from the French administration in Syria and Lebanon. And if you look at the maps of Damascus and Aleppo and how they manage the urban space, one of the clear ways of transforming political identities, creating new clients, erasing former identities, and these kind of, as you say, governmental processes, one of the ways was to modify the urban space. Now, you go into the local and you, in order to quell a rebellion, for instance, you bombard, you eliminate entire neighborhoods, and then you rebuild using a very clear modern grid Right, a very Cartesian understanding of space, yeah. where you know these militias or rebels cannot hide anymore. They are open, and you can use your tanks and you can use your fast troops to just go and quell any potential rebellion. Now, if you look at how destruction and reconstruction operate in a historical perspective, maybe you are able to anticipate many of the things happening um, today. It's really, really fascinating, and it it begs the question about the postmodern spatial turn in Syria, and how yeah. how the Assad regime and conversely others in Syria and beyond are doing the same types of things that the French um, mandatory powers were doing what a, a century ago, but not necessarily, or perhaps also influenced by the same types of ideas but perhaps different types of design so there's a there's a postmodern reimagining of that modern a modernist mm-hmm. process of destruction totally and and then definitely what would you have is is the idea that the built environment is both a mechanism of power and resistance yeah and and that and that opens multiple possibilities depending on who is using it mm-hmm. Uh, what are the rationales behind, and what are you trying to do with that? Are you trying to, for instance, entrench a specific community into space, naturalize it, normalize it, 
do you try to, on the other hand, just erase memory, erase the traces of the community? Or do you want to change the style of the community from a low class, for instance, into, you know, high class uh, standards? I mean, to, to follow that, that example on the, on the Armenians, it's super interesting how um, the French uh, colonial administration made of the um, Anatolian Armenians that arrived in Aleppo, which were the lowest class within the empire being persecuted at that time, they turned them into middle-class citizens. And they turned, they turned them into that because they built this super nice white stone buildings in Aleppo. This neighborhood made of beautiful houses using the traditional stone instead of other materials. And that progressively also gave a sense of distinctiveness to the community. And that affects the way they intersected politics later on. Yeah, of course, of course. And it's, it's really fascinating reflecting on, on these, and it, it sort of raises questions about the, the manifestation of, of sovereign power and going back to a conversation we had in Lancaster back in December about mm -hmm. necropolitics. Yeah. And the way that yeah, uh, yeah. Bembe's ideas work in, in this type of context. Here, here you have um, these several, um, you know, mechanisms of of, of governmental power, um, and uh, at the very end, the the interest of, of the thesis and the research I'm trying to, you know, to push forward this is is to understand how space, violence, and practices of identity relate to each other, and within that um, that matrix, you have interventions into the urban space that seek to generate good life, mm -hmm. that seek to generate uh, even, uh, to control life, the circulation. You don't try to destroy, you don't try to eliminate or eradicate, you just try to, you know, control the, 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 the flow of people, the styles and everything. But you also have, uh, on the other hand, another package, let's say, of, of interventions which are necropolitical in, in a sense. They want to, and this this goes in relation to all this literature on on herbicide, for instance. Yeah. What you try what you try to do is where you have heterogeneity and you try to navigate it and control it. You intervene to eradicate that heterogeneity, and you say this is a specific group of people, this is a specific identity, way of living, urban environment needs to be eradicated this is the idea of the purification of space you purify space from those elements that are understood as as not important and undesired sure and and this is this again the importance of it is is not just to look at the local which is important in itself but this is a re you know this is a, this is a reshaping of the state as well so that operates at different levels Mm. Yeah, it's really, really interesting stuff, and there's there's so much to to dig into here, theoretically, conceptually, empirically, mm -hmm. and, and these are all conversations that that we've had in the past, and the the things yeah. that you're talking about in your in your research in in so many different forms. So, I, I'm really, really hopeful that this um, this monograph will come out in the not too distant future. 
But hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've I've heard positive things, so fingers crossed. Um, but then there's hopefully, also yeah. all of the other um, the other outlets that you've got the 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 other um, publications that you've got. One of which looks at, at photography in more detail. So it's all yeah. fascinating stuff, Gabriel. And I'm I'm really really excited to see where you. Uh, where you go with this and where you um, oh. take your, your research. My pleasure. I mean, sometimes it, it, it gets a bit, a bit difficult because um, when you try, and, and this maybe is, is one of the, um, I guess, one of the mistakes of, of early career and young researchers, right? That, that we try to do many things at the same time. Yeah. Uh, because the, the, the phenomena that we're looking at are, are complex phenomena. Um, but again, this, uh, my starting point is always the, the, the local, the, uh, the assemblage into the, that very local situation. And from that, I try to understand the several processes that, that, that come at their, at their formation. And as I said, I'm, I'm interested in how cities are transformed, how political identities relate to that, but most importantly, how power operates. Mm-hmm. And to me, urban space is central in the Middle East. And we know that you guys had um, fantastic contributions on, on, on infrastructures uh, very recently. Uh, and, 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 and you have this idea also that security and identity um, relate to these, to these spatial um, dynamics, discourses, interventions. I mean, to me, this is one of the most fascinating areas in Middle Eastern uh, politics um, these days. Um, well, and I don't of course, think you'll find this, me disagreeing with you on that one. <laughs> this last decade has been extremely relevant to this. Of course, of course. And I think given what you've just said, and given the work that Sepad is doing on these these questions, it's an absolute honour and a privilege to have you with us, and we're very, very lucky to to be able to count you as a fellow and to be able to engage with you on all of these things. So, I mean, the honor is mine. I mean, I, I'm learning so much, Simon. You know. Well, thank you, Gabriel. <laughs> it's very kind of you to say. And thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm going to go away and have so many different things to think about now, which is what always happens whenever I speak with you, Gabriel. So a huge <laughs> thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Many thanks. A huge thank you to Gabriel for his time just now. It's a real pleasure chatting with him, as always. And learning a great deal from his theoretical and empirical ruminations. You can find him on Twitter at Gabriel Garum. That's at Gabriel Garum. So do give him a follow. And as always, a huge thank you to you for listening. Until next time.